Even though it seems as if you've disappeared, I can still see you here, in me, in us. I trust the memories will get me through, will always lead me back closer to you. Hey everyone, this is the final episode of Science of Grief. Before we get into today's episode, I wanna thank you for listening this season. I hope you've gotten something positive from this podcast. I also want to thank Children's Foundation of Michigan, Science Sandbox, and MSU FCU for supporting this podcast. Now, for some exciting news, even though the science of grief is ending, we are not done. Science Gallery and WDET are teaming up again, this time for a new podcast, Tracked and Traced. I'll be hosting again, but this time I'll be joined by my friend and colleague at Science Gallery, Antoine Scott. Hi, I'm Antoine Scott, Head of Programming for the Science Gallery at the Michigan State University Museum. And I'm excited to join my friend and colleague, Natasha T. Miller, in hosting the Tract and Trace podcast. It's about surveillance technology and the many and often unknown ways it affects us. With reporting coming from Science Gallery and WDET, Tract and Trace will explore the hidden realities of surveillance technology, from our personal data, to the use of facial recognition technology in law enforcement, to medical surveillance. Keep an eye out for Tract and Trace right here, coming this fall. Okay, now on with today's show. We're going to hear from Nolan Coulter, whose mother passed away when he was a child. Ten years later, at age 21, Nolan talks about how he's processed these different stages of grief from middle school to high school, and even how he's dealing with his grief now. Then I'll speak with counselor Demika Houston about identifying the signs of depression, rearranging memories, the importance of giving ourselves grace, and how we find a community that is good for us. Here's our producer, Patrick Bond, talking with Nolan Coulter. Could you tell me, um a little bit more about like what loss means to you and your experiences with it? So I was 11 uh, when my mom finally like passed away from breast cancer. And that was like beforehand, I, I had lost an aunt and a grandma to death and, and a dog. But um, those those experiences were like kind of okay, like that's that's really sad. It's like I'm I'm grieving, I guess. Uh, but I, I was really really young at the time, and mm-hmm. I sort of reacted how the people around me were reacting, like my family and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, because those those like that emotional sort of intelligence wasn't developed, so I, I had no real yeah. like. Like, they were gone, and I loved these people, but, like, I still couldn't really quite wrap my head around, like, how real death is. So by the time uh, that my mom had had died, it, it, was, it was, like, in a completely new world for me because it was, like, someone that was in my household every day, someone that uh, essentially, like, my strongest love like that yeah. the strongest love that I had had known ever. So for a while that was like, okay, uh, you just gotta like get through it. Like you just gotta, it happened, just push through and keep doing what you have to do. Mm-hmm. But obviously now I'm 21. So it's been 10 years mm-hmm. since then. I've had a lot of other experiences and a lot of time to sort of reflect because honestly I think when you lose a parent there's not like a day a day goes by where you don't really think of them and yeah. through um my like growth and maturity it mm-hmm. I think I was I utilized sort of uh her death to uh salvage how I viewed it and like how, how I viewed sort of the world and how I wanted to grow from that. What would you say is your strongest memory? Like um, whatever it is, if it's like just an, an emotion or uh, a feeling, what, what what do you remember back? Like what's the strongest thing with your mother? Uh, okay, this is kind of silly, but 
Um, I don't know why this memory, but I, I always, it's like one that I don't, I'll, I'll never forget. Uh, I forget, I forget even which state we were in, but I was with my dad and my mom and we were at, I was really little and we were at a vineyard, like uh, a, a wine tasting place. And the, I was like really bored out of my mind. And my parents were, you know, tasting the wine or like looking at what to buy. And I was really hungry and all they had were these, this like bowl of oyster crackers and I, I just ate like the entire bowl of oyster crackers by myself. And uh, and the, the lady, she just like gave me more. And I guess now that I'm saying it, it's like not really something that um, my mom did specifically. But it, when I think of this memory, I think of my mom. I think of like sort of just that, that energy, that presence of, of being like mm-hmm. in her and, or being around her her being in that memory and just like, you know, like the beauty and like the kindness that the, um, the, I don't know what her name would be, but the employee, um, Mm -hmm. giving the crackers and this is like the main connection. Uh, she came down to me, the employee, and as she gave me the crackers, she said, you have the most beautiful eyes. They're just like your mother's. And so that, that I think, um, that early memory, is a connection to like every time that you know like uh someone says something about my eyes or it it just it's like i guess my strongest connection to my mom my the eyes uh i have blue eyes (laughs) but yeah that's that's so beautiful so like even like when you like look in the mirror like every single time you see your eyes you're just like sort of like subconsciously reminded of your mother yeah that's beautiful um and then to touch back on when you were 11, um, I guess when, when you started processing what the loss truly was, when you got to like an emotional place, like maybe that was like 12, 13, 14, or even maybe later when your mom just wasn't like around for a little bit and you're like, Oh wow, this is like real. Yeah. Um, what did that look and feel like for you at that time? It was, it, it was a lot of, uh, almost like extremes almost, but not, not quite. Uh, so I was in sixth grade right when she passed. It was like my first few months, um, into sixth grade cause she, she passed away November 30th, uh, 2010. So after like, you know, the, the transition from elementary school to middle school, it's like, it's like a different world because you go from having in the same class to these lockers and a bunch of other people. And, you have this like responsibility of going from class to class, keeping track of things uh, more on yourself. And I I did somehow like fall down into this like troublemaking path. Uh, I, I did I did like you know I uh, I got into some trouble for the past for the next like three years. And it did get to a point in like eighth grade where I. I was faced with this reality where it's like, okay, I need to either turn things around like really fast or it's not going to be good for the rest of high school, which in my, in that view at that time is like the rest of your life, you know? So that summer before, um, eighth to ninth grade, I, I, I had some community service to do with like the city of Dearborn and Going into uh, high school, I I don't even know what happened, but it was like a switch, and I had this like intrigue of using my mom's like death as a way to like look at it and tell myself that I was okay, and then sort of like be like mature about it, and you know like uh, be be just super kind to everything, to, to everyone and befriend like people that were older than me. And, uh, it, it worked out pretty well where like I did do that 360, but in terms of like viewing my mom's, um, death with that, it like, I think I did, I reflect, or I deflected it in that middle school. Mm. And then what do you think caused the switch? Was there just like something inside of you that just said, all right, yeah, this is enough or something? Uh, I was, I was trying to think about that. And I really just, 
think it was like just time because it was, I was going to a new school and a different setting and like it, it was able to like be that sort of fresh start. Um, and I think I just took advantage of that. Like uh, what would have caused that really just picking up trash every Saturday during the summer and now feeling just this, this like uh, incredible embarrassment of going there and like my actions led me to this situation and it's really embarrassing and I don't want to like be seen doing that. I don't want to, I don't want to do that. <laughs> so. Do you mind talking about that at all? Like um, what happened in that troublemaking phase? Yeah. Um, I just like in school, you know, um, I would be kind of like a bully or like laugh at people that were like, you know, that did things weird or were a little different. And even I think it was mostly just like an over-exaggeration of like, I'm going to chuckle at this or be kind of mean to someone. And that's going to like, just put, act like I have like this like strong shield sort of, you know, like I'm tough and I got in like trouble with the, with police. However, I think this does bring up with my dad a little bit and I'm just starting to like really, really realize it in my eighth grade year. I was seeing the school therapist at the time and I was like telling her about it. She knew about it. And I was very distraught on how I would let my dad know because he Mm -hmm. still didn't know at this point. And she suggested that I write him a letter and like I leave it on the table before I go to school and just like letting him know everything that's that's happened and what's probably going to happen <laughs> uh, or what's to come what, what might happen and so I was very nervous and I was very scared as to how he would react and I did end up writing the letter and I just like left it on the kitchen table where he would grab his papers like for work or his bag And I went to school and I was like really scared, you know, like that he was going to send me a text or something. And I was just checking my phone, really scared to get back home. I didn't want to get back home that day. But when I did um, and he had read it, he was like completely calm and very understanding and like wasn't very like angry, even though like he knew he was going to have to pay fines on my on my name. Um, and have to like go through, you know, a a hassle with me, some trouble. Mm -hmm. And I think the way that he responded to that, I'm not like blowing up, which is what I expected was like the chance for me to figure out, okay, I'm going to get through this and him like being cool about it is like my chance to, put this behind me after it's all done and switch, like do that fork in the road moment. Yeah. Uh, I think that that was that. Obviously I still hadn't gone through the entire process by that time, but that was like, okay, this is like really embarrassing. Uh, I'm going to, we just need to like get this behind me. And I think that's essentially what we did. And all of like the bad behaviors, I, I, I really think just like followed with that. Um, so I guess like my dad's acceptance of the reality of it was very important to me because I I was really, I think most of the embarrassment and like the, the fear that I had of how I acted at that time in Mm -hmm. my life was basically how my dad is going to react to that. Um, and it was very, uh, I'm very thankful for how he did and how we moved on with that. And you're able to like recognize like, um, I don't know, like being able to cry, I guess. Uh, I guess this still is like part of the not so healthy brave way, but I remember being in high school and transitioning into like a numb sort of like uh, representation, I guess, of like my grief or my grief like formed into a numbness where I didn't want to like show 
like pain or like cry. Um, I guess like the lashing out short sort of shifted into or morphed into that hiding, hiding it sort of phase, even though like I would still be open about it or like I would still have conversations, you know, about like, oh, my mother's dead or like this obviously like had a toll on me, but I'm like fine now and it's fine. Like it, what happened happened. That sort of uh, like mindset put put out that I would put out. But um, yeah. Um, so would you say hiding it would be like the numbness and the lashing out or just like the, the numbness? I guess it would be both. So yeah, like um, as I sort of transition from the lashing out to that numbness, I, I guess in hindsight, like they're both in the same vein and there wasn't really much change or like growth at that moment there perhaps. Um, although I do think that it's, it's down like the ladder to get to, you know, a good spot where, uh, which didn't happen, much, which didn't happen until like much later. But when you get to that point of being like comfortable, uh, having conversations, you know, like about how messed up it is to like miss or to, to lose someone that is such like a big character in your life. And also to acknowledge, like, to be able to talk about like how, how much love was given and how much love can still come from like the memories and the discussions. Uh, it took a long time to get there. But I think the transition of lashing out and then to being like uh, a sh having a shield on that those steps, I think, were necessary to get to a point um, that is actual like actually healthy for for myself, I think. And it was like a long process, but uh, I, I don't like really regret going through those stages of my life. Um, when I was younger. Um, and then, so that, that, that process, um, how, how did you deal with it while you were going through it all? Uh, I, I, I guess I just like, like I said, like I, I sort of, um, so in, in, the, in the high school, the early high school, it was just like the pretend it's really not there, like block it out. Maybe it would come out if I was like at a party and like really, really, you know, drunk one night. But um, other than that, I put a lot of like effort into my swimming. And mm -hmm. I think I remember actually speaking to one of my friends one time and like explaining why I was so into practicing every day. I never like never missing a practice. Always like some people sometimes like being you would call someone a try hard, you know, if you like saw them in the pool and like they were just uh you would kind of get annoyed by how much effort they're putting into like every single practice. And I think my, uh, my reasoning excuse for that at the time, I actually told my friend, one of my friends that was that I just do that because I want to like make my mom proud. So I want to take one step back and then one step forward. So one step back is going to be, what did that depression feel and look like? So, so that, that, that depression, that, that, angst it in middle school it was more of like me lashing out you know and uh being more angry and then in the high school it turned more into like a uh isolated like sort of de depression that was mm -hmm. sort of uh high, high high emotion uh keep like a sort of like a, a straight face you know don't get too excited about things um, mm -hmm. it was, it was a dullness. It was like a, a, a sheet of like gray over, yeah. over everything. And I think that that form of depression took building. It wasn't like, uh, when my mom initially died, that was a bit different because it was just like a, a, a shifted reality. Whereas mm -hmm. this was like, this is my reality, but it's dark. It's just, uh, it's, it's tough. And that depression, it, I feel evolved a lot as I tried to get through, um, 
get get through high school and sort of have fun. Uh, it. I, I think I sort of viewed it as almost like a inevitable thing or like an omnipresent force. And I did do really well, like with, with my high school um, interactions, you know, like uh, I had great relationships with teachers. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of people might uh, have been like surprised maybe if that sort of depression was there. I don't know. I, I don't know for sure about that, but I guess where I'm going with this is uh, it was different because I, okay, like like the sheet, I have sort of a, 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 like a, a story, I guess, a quick, a quick brief okay. like story that goes with that. So, it was my sophomore year, my, my second year in high school. Yeah. And it was, we, we, the prom was coming up and uh, I needed a, a suit. And like my best friends were seniors, uh, I swam with them. And he, one of my friends, he, he texted me and I, I was like playing video games in my basement and I wasn't really thinking about like anything. And like the, the dance was like uh, a couple weeks away, but I was going with like a, a, a girl, a senior girl. And my friend texted me and he said, do you need, um, do, do you need a suit? Like I have a coupon for men's warehouse. And if I get like 10 people to use this coupon, I get like a free suit or something and you get like a discount. Mm-hmm. And I read that text and like, I don't know, it's like in, engraved into my head. It was, I had my iPhone and he was, he sent it through a green bubble mm-hmm. and like for a split second, I had this like just urge, like this like reaction to go upstairs and ask my mom if there were a suit, if there was a suit that I could wear in the closet, like upstairs. Mm-hmm. And the way that like it was, it was so brief, but all that happened, like that 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 feeling, it happened so quickly, but it felt like. Mm-hmm. Like it lasted a longer than a, a half a second. Yeah. Uh, right. Right after that, like that realization of like I can't do that. Like that's that's not an option. Like I can't go yeah. up there and ask. And that that is when I realized sort of like that depression and like sort of what what it was, because for a second, it felt like everything was like beautiful. Like everything was like really nice and colorful and. Mm-hmm like full of life. And then after that, after that realization set in, like that half second, it was like, oh, like, oh, oh it's it's not, she, she's like not there. So I, I've, I've thought about that a lot over the past few years, like, cause, cause if I was a sophomore that, that must've happened in 2014. And it, it just really, um, is crazy to me to think like how you don't think about that weight and that like grayness every day. You don't think about it like every week. It just like is there. And then you don't realize it's there until somehow it's, it's not. We have this thing. My, my, my dad's best friend from high school, he was sort of like our godfather in a way. Um, and he had two daughters that were around my brother's age, one a little older, one the same age. And so like, they, they were like cousins growing up, Emma and Kate. Jeff uh, ended up passing away by cancer also. And so Kate is like five years older than me, but she's the younger sibling of the two in her family. So I think there, there was always like sort of that connection between me and her, even though I was age difference as me and my brother. Mm-hmm. Um, and my brother and her usually were tight because they were the same age. But we had Jeff Jeff's wake at our house, um, her, her father. Mm-hmm. And that night, you know, she was like a teenager, older teenager. I was like young teenager, like 13 maybe and or 14 and she 
you know, there was like drinking and uh, she got very like sad about it, you know, like naturally it's, it's her father's wake. And she like went in, she stormed off into like a bathroom and my brother followed her in and like sort of was like taking care of her, like everyone else out. And I went to walk in and my brother like snapped back. He's like, Nolan, get out of here. And I was like very like hurt by that. But then Kate immediately, she's like, no, like Nolan, come on in. Like, it's okay, Colin. Like, no, I want Nolan to be in here. And so I went in and it was just the three of us. And I don't really remember exactly like, you know, like what we talked about or even if I said much, because I was still like kind of shy and like young, but that like moment really like stuck with me. One, because, you know, like she's grieving the death of her dad. I'm like two years after the death of my mom. We're both like the young child. Uh, I think that was just very important for me in like my growth. I think that was like a point where I, my eyes went wide open and like, okay, like this is really crazy. Like this entire, you know, death and grieving, it's like a really like crazy thing. And it's, there's a lot of like layers to it. Uh, yeah, that, that was just something that I, I remember a lot. Um, that was, yeah. So what did seeing that like, do you, what, what did it make you think or feel like maybe like that commonality? It, it was very like, a lot, not alarming, but like very, um, shocking to see that from Kate, you know, uh, as someone who was like probably, you know, 18, 17 or nine, yeah. Uh, around that age at the time. And, you know, up until that point, I was like still having that shield in front of my face, not, not showing myself cry or drop any tears or really like even talk about it. Mm -hmm. Uh, so that was one of the first times that as Kate, opens up about her dad, I'm sure I shared some words about like my mom or we, or I shared a cry with her. Mm -hmm. um, that was very like open up and sort of let it spill out mm -hmm. because she was going through that same thing with me or I was going through that same thing with her in that moment. Um, yeah, I, I don't really, like, remember much of the details of, like, how that followed, but I just, I'll never forget, like, her inviting me in. And even though, like, like I said, I don't remember the details very much, I just know that that was important for me in that process of knowing what grieving is and sort of, like, wanting to expand how I viewed my mom's death mm -hmm. and not letting it be so confined to like a simple she's dead and that's it move on with it it was like it it, it really made me I think want to see all of the pain and beauty and like tears and laughs that come with like remembering someone who has died that you miss dearly. I personally, I was able to sort of come together with it and salvage her death by seeing it as it's not a loss. Death isn't like a loss because you, if you have those memories and you have that sort of feeling of, if you sort of have anything to hold on to, like yeah. even if it, um, I'm not quite talking about like materialistic things, even though photos and like videos and recordings of the voice are great. Mm. But even if it's just that feeling like in, in yourself, that can be a continuation of the person that has died. So mm. it's not quite a loss in my opinion, in, in my view, because they're always with you. They're, they're, they're with you in like everything that you do. And it's not like your memories or your thoughts. and it's not like I'm thinking about, you know, my mom. It's like the 
the way that I interact with people on a daily basis or that I, that I try to um, collect myself mm-hmm. or persevere in times. It's like lessons that I've learned from her. Even mm-hmm. if I didn't learn them in the time with her, the reflection that I've had after her death has sort of built like that foundation of, uh, I guess, who I am. So you're kind of saying that like your mom, you're um, sort of like using the persona of your mom to, you sort of like use your mom as like a um, extension of like your moral values. And you like, she, in a way she's like living through you because like, if, I don't know if you're thinking like light, like she's like the, the light that's shining through your body. And then you're trying to like, give that love to other people. Is that sort of what you're saying? Or could you tell me a little bit more about that? Like, it was really interesting. No, yeah, yeah. In that sense, like, um, because, you know, everyone, like, nobody's perfect. Like, yeah. even though I, I, I view my mom as like this, this, uh, just all good being because mm-hmm. the memories that I have and the stories that other people share, like, she really was, you know, like someone that uh, just would make anyone smile. Mm-hmm. But, but through it's not like this idea that I have that I'm trying to share isn't like restricted on just like my mom like I feel this goes for everyone where the the time that you spend with someone Mm -hmm. whether you're like specific it's like a memory that's going to be engraved in your mind forever or not like if it's just even an interaction sort of like it it's an energy that's given off by people Mm -hmm. and uh that energy, like, you know, you learn this in physics class, like en- waves don't die, like energy doesn't yeah, die. It just so, changes form. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in like my sense, I'm sort of thinking it as a an energy that's given out by people that like you can't really see or test or anything. And it will just transmit. And through every action that you do, like mm-hmm. uh, it, it, it's it's just carried through, it's followed through. So I guess with like the kindness and like the, the, the light, uh, yeah, like I, I do think that it's an extension of, of her, mm-hmm. uh, in my sense, but, uh, it like, it's, it, it doesn't have to be like a thought of her, you know, it's just like, yeah. it helps shape sort of the character that I'm growing into myself. And then I, I think this is a really good branching point. So um, when we first talked, you had said that if you could go back in time uh, and talk to your younger self, that the first thing you would do would be to um, give that younger you a hug. Um, and I know that like for, with a lot of people I've talked to before about this exact subject, they say something along the lines of, well, I'm afraid to talk to them. I don't know what to say. I don't have the words. I don't know like what to do. And I feel like, um, that statement, like just like giving a hug was very powerful. And I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. Um, and that of not knowing what to do is also very interesting, but with the hug, I just feel like there's not always words that can like be said. And especially in the heat of the moment as something like that's so raw and like fresh um, you hear a lot of words and like, you hear like a lot of, I'm so sorry. And like, uh, if you need anything, that's why I feel like just a tight hug, uh, just means like a lot. It, it can mean a lot, um, depending. And I think that's like something that is always good to have. And sometimes like you, you don't get that a lot. And I'm sure at the time I was getting a lot of hugs, but um, it's, that's also like one thing that I wish I could have for my mom, just like a hug. So I think as me answering with that, that's also like me projecting what I want, uh, what what I th- what I want now is what I sort of would think I would want back then as well, mm-hmm. and uh, just yeah, in that way that it 
feels good to be held and to have that sort of like feeling of security. Um, yeah, especially, you know, as at 11 years old, you don't want to feel like you're vulnerable and you're just like, like there's nothing like protecting you now. Um, after my mom died, who was like the person that I would hide behind uh, or that would like always protect me. So I'm Ann Delisi. I'm Rob Reinhardt. And we're about to bring back the perfect opportunity to honor your favorite pet and support WDET. During our spring fundraiser, Ann and I will combine our shows so you can honor your dog. Or your cat. Or your dog. And WDET with a gift of support. We're looking forward to hearing about your pets, no matter what kind of cat that is. Cats and dogs and any other pet you may have will be part of our fundraiser. And if you can't wait till the weekend, make your gift now at WDET.org slash give. Or call 800-959-9338. Yeah, I think like definitely the hug would make up for any words that could be said. Nolan talked a lot about growing up with grief and the journey he went on, which included depression in high school. To talk more about how young people can address their own depression, I want to welcome back counselor Damika Houston of Healing Minds in Grand Rapids. Yes. Um, first, thank you for having me. I am Damika Houston, and I am a licensed therapist here in the state of Michigan. I have an office in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and I work with individuals who are dealing with stress, trauma, anxiety, and grief. Um, so I do a lot of um, one-on-one work. And uh, what's, what are some ways that people can get in contact with you, uh, maybe in Grand Rapids or you know, post the podcast? Absolutely. So I have um, platforms on social media on Facebook and Instagram. It's Healing Minds GR. Or you can check out my website at uh, healingmindsgr.org. Okay. Thank you for that. Okay. So um, let's talk Nolan and and, and the interview that, that you heard with Nolan and Patrick. Do you have any initial thoughts on the conversation that Patrick and Nolan was having? Um, so listening to that interview, it really resonated with a lot of the clients that I see, as well as myself this past year, when it comes to loss um, and losing a parent um, at a young age um, and how you kind of deal with that, navigate through it. Um, and he also talked about the different stages that he had to navigate through the loss because you lost him at like, he lost his mother at 10 and then you have to go from elementary to middle school and kind of transition and kind of understanding what life is like without that parent to guide you. Um, and then also going on to high school, right, and in adulthood. Yeah. And so I think that the story is one that hits a lot of individuals, especially ones who have lost a loved one at a young age and how going through a lot of milestones and how it impacts you through each milestone differently. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I guess what, what I would ask is, or what would be your advice? You know, how do you manage that at, at, at a young age, losing someone so close to you? Losing a parent, you know, you never really get over it. When losing a loved one, you never really get over it. Um, you kind of just manage throughout um, the days and times, but there are going to be times where things are a little bit harder to navigate and having a safe space to communicate with someone is very important. Sometimes we focus so much on that person not physically being there and we don't really focus on the things that his mom left, right? The memories, um, the things that c- connects him to his mother. He mentioned his eyes, you know, though, you know, when somebody says something about his eyes and how beautiful his eyes are, he remembers that's a part of his mother that he's connected to because she had just as beautiful blue eyes as him. And so that is a piece that he keeps with him. Yeah. And so if we can get to kind of acknowledge and kind of identify what are some pieces that we have that is a part of us for my loved one, whether that's, you know, the connection of our, our eyes, our our personality, um, some of the skill sets that we have, the values that they instilled in us, the memories that we have with them. What is it something that we have that lives on through us? And sometimes it's just thinking about that time. 
we're going to always have some sadness because it does trigger, right? We know that they're physically not here. But it's always about being thankful that we're able to have had that memory, have had that experience with them while they were here. Yeah, you know, he was he was saying how, you know, death is not as, as permanent as, you know, we, we view it because we have all of these moments and all of these memories that are that are still with us. Uh, I do want to talk about, you know, Again, I always I keep have, keep having to go back to these are young listeners who who are who are you know just they're new at life, um, yeah. and at ten Nolan you know lost his mom and then he talks about how he acted up right and acted mm-hmm. out and a lot of us do that even in adulthood and I wanted to talk about the importance or what you what you feel the importance of giving yourself grace you know yeah. is. So giving oh sorry. <laughs> so giving ourselves grace. Yeah, um when we hit a hard place in our life, we tend to one avoid things or two we try to um fill it with something else. So we may act out, right? Show display behaviors that may not always be so good for us. And in that instant is really giving um the person, the space to kind of identify where it's coming from. Because sometimes we act out not because we are upset, but because we feel like we just can't talk about how we're feeling and we, or we don't know how to talk about how we're feeling. And we just do things that we think is going to help us manage that emotion. And really it's all about let's talk about this. You're angry. And it's okay to be angry. Um, Giving ourselves the ability to feel, allowing ourselves, giving ourselves permission to be angry. Because sometimes we feel like we can't be angry um, and acknowledge that that's what we feel and give ourselves the permission to feel that. Because sometimes we think it's selfish to feel some of the emotions that come with grief and loss. And so we try to deny that we feel those emotions. One thing I, I that Nolan talked about in a lot of uh, our interviewees, you know, kind of discussed the same thing, which is losing future moments, like grieving the loss of these future moments. So mm-hmm. uh, if you remember, Nolan was talking about the men's warehouse suit and, and going, I, th- I believe, homecoming. And he said how he wanted to tell his mother about the suit, but had to realize, like, oh, she's not there. How can we start to accept that this person is not there and allow other people into that space to to feel the emptiness or the void that we feel and actually be okay with that. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that I helped a client um, do, because they, they've had struggle with future moments, things that they're experiencing in their life, and they feel guilty because they're not there to, to experience it with them. One of the things that we learn to do is how do we communicate that to them. I know sometimes we think because they passed away that we can't release that information. We can't necessarily tell them, but we can still in a way release that information and connect to them by writing a letter, right? Uh, one of the things that um, my client did was write a letter to the one, their loved one that they lost. And it talked about everything that they have experienced, everything that they've been able to go through, um, things that they achieved, moving into their own place. And they're kind of just talking about, you know, their life journey now. And then they found a way to release that. So you can release it in different ways. One is, um, you can rip it up, you can burn it, you can do all these different things. But it's about communicating how you feel in the moment. You know, you wish this person was there to experience this with you. And, they, you know, they're not. Um, but I can still try to connect with them. And then I can find a way to be grateful for the people who are in my life to create new memories with me. Yeah. I think that's 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 really important. Again, you know, there were times where, in still times, not word, it is. You know, I ride down the block, I think about something that happened in middle school, and I want to just pick up the phone, like, oh, only my brother would understand this. 
But instead of me, you know, getting sad or depressed about it, doing exactly what you said, I could still tell him that in a different way. You know, I could mm-hmm. still say like, oh, my God, you know, in a letter, in a voice memo, in an email to myself, whatever it is, you know, just to understand that physically he's not here. Um, but I can still find my own way to to connect to that person. And I think that's important for our young listeners to, to understand that, you know, um, again, physically people aren't with us, but there are other ways that we can still keep them, you know, in our hearts and keep them uh, around. So what what are some signs of depression? How, you know, as, as a young adult, how can you realize when you're dealing with something as heavy as depression and grief? Yeah, so depression looks so different in each person, each individual. But some common things that you can see is that the person becomes withdrawal in the activities that they love to do. Um, if you're a person who's very social, you become antisocial. Really not. You don't really socialize with people anymore. Um, you have low energy. Um, sometimes you have a hard time falling asleep or staying asleep. Um, you have you don't have the ability to eat or you have a over appetite. You want to eat a lot. You consume too much. Um, you're not focused. You tend to forget some of the days that's going on. Um, some of the bigger signs is feeling very hopeless, um, feeling like there there is nothing that can fix this, um, and feeling like you don't have any hope. And then sometimes individuals feel very helpless, feel like no one can help them. There's no, no one in their life that can get them out of where they're at. So there are several different signs. Um, sometimes you see people who seem... Um, very out, very energetic and out and have a lot of things to do. So they keep themselves busy. Um, and that's still a sign because they're avoiding um, those emotions and, and thoughts that that come with depression. And they tend to overwork themselves to a point where they kind of um, diminish their, their physical health. Um, so depression just shows up in all kinds of ways. And And can you talk about, you know, some ways in which once you recognize that you are depressed, you know, how how can you communicate that to other people in a way where, you know, you don't feel shame. You don't feel like you're you're being judged. You know, you're confident in telling other people, hey, I'm going through something and and I want you to know. You know, how do you ask for that help? Yeah, absolutely. Um, that part is very difficult if you feel like you don't have a safe um, support system or a community that can be open and understanding. So that could be definitely difficult. But if you have that community, um, just telling them you are kind of struggling real, you're struggling really, really bad and you need someone to talk to and um, kind of seeing how they kind of respond to that. Also, if you don't have that community, you know, contacting a mental health professional. Um, and just talking with them to kind of process through what is going on to see how they can help you and give you the skills that you can utilize to kind of manage your depression and help you get out of those darker days. Absolutely. Thank you for that. Uh, So before we uh, wrap up, um, you know, we always like to create space where, and I feel like you just kind of did that, uh, you know, in this last, uh, uh, last question, but what are ways in which you think people can handle and navigate their grief? You know, what are some healthy outlets for people who may not have a therapist right now or might not have the resources to find, you know, a a therapist? What are some other ways in which they can navigate and and process their grief? Yeah, so if you don't have um, a therapist right now, there are different ways that you can kind of manage it on your own. It's one, giving yourself space to grieve. And what I mean is, um, limit your distractions. Sometimes we distract ourselves um, by work, um, social activities, all these different things. But give ourselves space to actually feel some of those emotions. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's important that we know we can we can say, as you just mentioned, goodbye in a bunch of different ways. Uh, but we can we can say goodbye as many times as we need to, you know, until yeah. we feel like we found the closure uh, that we need, and that could be a lifelong process. And I think that's. Yeah what, you know, this podcast has has taught me and, and even listening to Nolan's interview, how Nolan talked about, you know, going from middle school to high school, from elementary to middle school. These are all different stages of grief that Nolan was experiencing. It was like, 
picking the grief back up, putting it back down, picking it back up, putting it back down. Uh, and I think it's important for our listeners to understand it's okay. It's okay for you to do that. When it hits you, you know, stand in it, acknowledge it, you know, process it, deal with it. Um, but don't think that that grief has to go away overnight, has to go away in 12 months or even 12 years. It's, it's okay if it comes back and it's okay for you to deal with it. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Especially if we had a loss at a young age, it's, it's a grieving process for every stage of life. And now here's a song by Lawrence Young, a.k.a. Capelli. It's called Grand Rising. To the universe and let it go. Work harder than I pray, I'm telling what I know. Speak it to the universe and let it go. Work harder than I. Yo, peace and blessings, look who we manifesting. Abolish the product till the stamp affected. Along the way, I went astray, but then I course corrected. And now they pay for my display of vocal pyrotechnics. Got away with words, mental erase superb. Depression take me under, but I never stay submerged. Every loss became a lesson that I paid to learn. Student grew into the teacher, how the tables turn. Don't cut no corners now and then, you gotta wait your turn. Papa warned us like a fade, you feel the razor burn. Plots are formed and now be formulating the ways to earn. Negotiate the terms, generate a great return. Streams of revenue, them dreams we never knew Cause they've been trying to drown us out before the levees blew We never down and out, we leveled up and stepping through And time is precious, so I work ahead of schedule It's imperative to keep some leverage, nothing less to do And keep it cool, don't let the pressure get the best of you Karen called the cops, you know the words are weapons too Embellished narrative, they paint could be the death of you You black and excellent, they try to take your breath from you My people fed up, now we up to Smith and Wesson too Them people fed up, now we up to Smith and Wesson too Yeah That does it for the science of grief But remember, we're coming back later this fall and winter with Tract and Trace we hope to talk to you then, but in the meantime, take care of yourself and take care of your mental health. If you have a mental health concern and need someone to talk to, please contact a mental health professional or your doctor. The number for the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is 1-800-273-8255. This episode was produced by me, Natasha T. Miller, Patrick Vaughn, our executive producer, David Lyons, and our editor, David Weinberg. Theme music by Jordan Davis with mixing, mastering, and additional music by Sam Bobian. That last song you heard, again, was by Lawrence Young, a.k.a. Capelli, Grand Rising. With additional production support from Shamin Sultana, Kaylin Higgins, Aaron Appleby, Maida Stangy, Antoine Scott, and Holly Ann Stewart, who creates our artwork for each episode. The Science of Grief podcast is a collaboration between Science Gallery Detroit and WDET, Detroit's NPR station, and is supported by the Children's Foundation of Michigan, MSU-FCU, and Science Sandbox.